1: You know, come here to my office here in Vancouver and I'll ask them to take a deep breath and I'll ask them first if they are able to take a deep breath And they'll say yes of course and then i'll ask them to do it and most people can't execute it you know it's from the upper chest Mm -hmm. but when you are able to take um, a breath from a really low deep place what happens is is that the brain cannot do two things at once it can't be in fight and flight or in a relaxed state and when you're taking these deep breaths it causes you to be in a relaxed state
0: Turners, it's Ash here, and I'm so excited for today's guest. It's Janice Tomich, and she is an expert on communication, public speaking, everything from how to deliver an incredible speech or presentation if you're at work, uh, all the way down to the mindset of it, and how to release the fears and the blocks that keep you from really stepping into it. I don't know if it's true, but I keep reading about that whole statistic that people hold the fear of public speaking very close to the fear of dying, so God knows I hope I can help you guys today with her. And uh, Janice, thank you so much for coming on to talk about how to create an effective presentation. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be
0: here, Ashley. Yeah, I'm personally, I feel like I've got a stake in the game because as a public speaker, I'm always learning to, looking to learn how to do a better job, you know, because these skills, you know, for anybody listening, if they're in the workforce, it's necessary to be able to talk to your clients or your boss or whatever. And then it's also for me necessary to get on stage and do a good job. So this is a very meaningful topic.
1: Yes, I agree with you. Absolutely. A very meaningful topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens by way of and as you probably have found the results of being on those stages, the impact that it's had, you know, for you, for your career. And, um, and that's the thing that I notice with my clients as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, just kind of getting started, I'm curious to learn what inspired you to be on this path of helping so many CEOs, entrepreneurs, and, you know, corporate professionals nail communication and public speaking. What pulled you to it?
1: Uh, I think it's just like everybody else I have a huge huge fear of public speaking myself so much so that it held me back in my career but um, push came to shove and um, I kind of in a way I was forced to um, I had to retire from one career and um, so I took myself back to uh, university and um, that's where I acquired my communication degree and I acquired a marketing degree and I knew um, that things had changed a a little bit since I had been in university or had been in academia previously to that. And that um, it looked different, that there was a lot more project work and that there was a lot more presentations um, that would be required you know, within my program. And um, so I was bound and determined that I was going to get better at it. And um, not to say that there wasn't a lot of lumps along the way, but Mm -hmm. um, I did get better at it Mm -hmm. and um, became um, a student of it. And wanted, um, and from my learning, um, I wanted to help other people, um, get more, get more comfortable with it, and be able to um, communicate better, um, from podiums or from stages, whatever that looked like.
0: mm mm-hmm. And um, as we're kind of looking at effective presentation skills. Uh, I know we could probably do a whole episode for sure on the mindset of speaking. What are a couple gems you could offer anybody listening right now as we get into these steps to actually craft a strong presentation for whatever purpose? What are some mindset insights you might have for them to just kind of consider as they listen to you?
1: What I would ask, ask your audience to consider is take a step back and think about the presentations that you have um, had the opportunity to watch, and from a discerning discerning eye, the ones that um, really engaged you and you felt very very compelled, and those that didn't, and you know what was that gap in between that happened? Um, and one thing in my observation in the work that I've been doing now for the past ten years, it's Sometimes you'll watch a speaker, and so they have a, they're holding um, a little bit of a mask, you know, between them and the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a, a barrier there that they're not quite comfortable, you know, in the seat of themselves. Um, and then the other thing, and it's a bit of a mask, a barrier in the way, in a way too. It's uh, an over over performance piece, mm-hmm. you know. So it's almost like they're acting, and um, you know, so they're no longer, you know, they're not being. Uh, you know, their authentic self. And from a mindset piece for an individual, um, that's that's a big leap to be able to be in that place of,
0: of comfortable, you know, being comfortable and being competent. Mm, I feel like that's probably my biggest block as I practice so much, so much more than people would ever know, you know, when I give a talk. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's, I feel silly because I think being a really good speaker sometimes feels like being an actor you know, and a lot of people don't know that they, I have a lot of friends who tell me, you know, I'm going to free flow and I'm going to say a little prayer and get up there. And to me, (laughs) I, I just think to myself, oh my gosh, like, people don't pay $2,000 a ticket for Hamilton hoping that the actors do the same thing the next night, you know, and that's what, to me, being (laughs) an excellent speaker, you've got to really practice and know what you're going to say and really have spent that time prior. So how do you kind of navigate that line between over-preparing and trusting yourself?
1: Mm -hmm. So the client, when I work with clients, it looks a little bit different than perhaps than uh, most people on their own would practice. And, um, it's obvious too when you see people that practice in in this mode where they've memorized word for word for word because then it's that, um, you know, it looks a little bit um, over polished and you know, again, we get to that over performance sort of aspect of it where they yeah. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't look genuine. And then oftentimes what happens when someone memorizes a pre- oh, an entire presentation like that, they'll get to one word and they'll forget it. And they will be like a deer in headlights. Mm-hmm. So how I have my clients um, practice is yes. Um, oftentimes, you know, they will construct an, an entire speech and word for word, but then I will have them go back and I will have them pull out just the key points from that speech, from that presentation and practice then from those and so you know you talked about free flow and it is kind of sort of you know like free flow Mm -hmm. but you've got your you know you've got your stable structure you know there you Mm -hmm. know you've got the form of your presentation there and then you are expanding riffing off of those key points so every time you know you practice and um, when you get on stage, it may sound a little bit different, um, but more natural and more conversational.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, for anybody listening, I know you talked about the first step of, of creating an effective presentation is your intention. And I love this because sometimes we think about what we want to say, but we don't think about why we're giving the speech or what's behind it. So what insight do you have for anybody who's kind of sitting with this first step of intention?
1: Yes, to put a big sticky on top of their computer if that's where they're uh, creating their presentation from or if they're working on a whiteboard or whatever, intention sits on the top. And it's always the litmus test to keep going back through as you create your presentation to make sure that you are hitting your intention. And so, intention, you know, I look at it coming from two ways: you know, by way of you, a presenter, um delivering a presentation, what do you want to have happen um by way of giving the presentation, what would you like to see the outcome to be? And the other intention piece is it's, it's audience, right? So, you know, for all of us, you know, anybody in communications, we realize, you know, that um, it's not so much about us. Of course, we have a message and we have things that we want to share when we want to influence people. But, you know, it's the receiver, you know, it's about the audience and how can they best um, receive, you know, the, the information that we would like to share with them.
0: And I guess everybody has a different goal. It's like, you know, maybe the intention is if you're a business owner to get clients, whereas in the workforce, it's to make your client happy or your boss take action of sorts. So this makes a lot of sense to me. And um, after somebody, I, I found it really interesting. You talked about key message. So after clarifying your intention, it's about looking at what your key message is. And I think this is something as a speaker that I haven't always done is, thought about, what am I really trying to say? I just go straight into content because I've been a content creator for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So what can we learn about key message?
1: So, key message is the through line, you know. So, you know, you've you've hit on this, and you know, as you were speaking, it's the through line that runs through the through the entire presentation. And some people get a little bit confused here. So, you know, what's the difference between intention and key message? And a really great analogy around that, um, I always go back to Steve Jobs. So, for for me, he was one of the most amazing presenters of all times. And so, you think back to when he was. Um, when the uh, MacBook Air you know rolled out and so think back to that what was his intention so of course you know for you know Apple products and for him it was to sell you know these wonderful little you know computers however the key message was different and the key message there was you know these wonderful slim computers, laptop computers that there had never been anything like before that would fit in that gorgeous brown envelope. So that's where the difference between intention and key
0: message lies. Got it. Okay. And let's take somebody like me, since I always like to be my own Guinea pig on this podcast. (laughs) Um, you know, I am an entrepreneur speaking is a revenue stream for me and it's something I love to do. It's something in my mission that I care about. And, I, let's say I really want to up my game and I'm, you know, and I do tend to be lacking a key message sometimes. What are some questions that I should be asking myself or thinking about, you know, and this is for everyone from, you know, the corporate professional preparing for a client presentation to a keynote like me thinking about writing my next big talk.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Would you like to be the guinea pig? Do you have have a presentation coming up?
0: I always do. Yeah, I always do. All right, right, share a little bit.
1: Tell me what it looks like.
0: You know, there's many different ones, but I think one talk I've been wanting to give is about leadership and what does it take Mm -hmm. to be a powerful leader. And I think the key message that I want to... Share or the big mind shift. That's how I see it as a message is something you want to shift in the mind. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's accurate, but. Absolutely. um, Influence
1: and persuade. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it would be something like a lot of leaders think that people work for them, but they work for their people. So it's like shifting that mindset.
1: So, do I understand this correctly? Could it be labeled as servant leadership?
0: Mm, like something about like being of service as a leader mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what being leader is. Yeah. I don't like the word servant because of the connotations, but I do like the idea of that for sure. Of
1: being, being of service.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of leaders, like a lot of CEOs have come into my coaching practice at one point or another and they have issues with their staff and I'm like, well, you don't, they don't work for you. You work for them. Like, why are you missing that? You know? Um, and
1: they have a hard time wrapping their head around it.
0: Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I worked my ass off to get here and now I have a team to support me. Why am I working so hard calling them and doing all this stuff, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, so, um, moving along, you know, so we talked about that, um, I have a template, you know, that I work my clients through. So, you know, in that vein, um, if it's, um, leadership of service, can you think of three ways that you would support this argument around um, being of service as a leader?
0: I would say um, the first thing is expectations versus agreements. Like I think a lot of leaders drive by delegate and they don't make agreements with people and they just expect things and kind of put themselves in this victimized role of telling people what to do versus asking people to agree to something that feels good for them. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And what
1: would the second be?
0: Um, I would say having a professional persona would be something a leader does. Like I think people who are not leaders in the workforce will leak their they'll leak their desire to be liked and they'll lead with that versus mm. their desire to make an impact. Being life liked is really I think kind of it's a great thing. It's a productive thing, it gets work done. And it's pleasant, but I don't. I think a lot of leaders or want to be leaders lead with being liked, and it really damages their ability to execute.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you too. Would better terms around that be um, trust, um,
0: perhaps um, respected? Yeah, it's like being liked versus being respected for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think being respected requires a professional persona, and a lot of people have a story in their head that if they you know, be somebody else at work, they're not being themselves. But my argument is that our whole lives, we've been a level of self that comes from our upbringings and we go into the professional workforce and don't really take that time to decide who we want to be in that regard. Cause to me, that's a very authentic choice to choose who you want to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and, it, and it's interesting, you know, hearing you speak of this because, you know, I wonder if a lot of people would look at it from the perspective of, you know, um, being a little bit old school, you know this button down kind of professional yeah but and and I I hear where you're coming from and I and I agree with what you're saying what would the third piece to your argument be
0: mm, I haven't thought much about it it's so formative but I would probably say something about um something about ego like no task too big or too small like and also just ego about giving people credit like a lot of I think it's a trait of toxic leaders when they want credit and they don't want their team to shine because they don't realize they shine when their team shines so something about that
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely so you see where we are in the template now. So we've established um, your three um, supporting arguments, and the beauty of this template is that it can be used um, for a long presentation—an um, hour, you know, it could be an hour long, or mm-hmm. it could be five minutes long. So where the length comes in is below these um, supporting argument pieces, where you can expand and or contract, you know, as much as you would like. So you know we can go ahead um from there if we want to build out your presentation some more.
0: Yeah, actually, everybody who's listening, um, I'm, she's kind of walking me through amazing templates she told me about before we started recording. The first is the intention, which we talked about, like what do you want to happen because of the talk. The second is the message, like what what do you want to say that makes people think differently, and then the third is the three supporting arguments, which is kind of what you just facilitated, which is awesome. Yeah, um, yes. And then we kind of yeah. backpedal, we look at the opener, which is another topic. And I, I love that because you can't really figure out your, it's, it's almost like a book. Like it's hard to come up with the title until you've come up with the journey, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely.
1: So yeah. And I know that often people want to start at that end, right? That they want to create that opening book yeah.
0: and you can't,
1: you know, you can't until you've established, you know, the bulk of what you're going to um, deliver in your presentation. And before we got on the call, I was remarking to you, I watched a Ted talk of yours. Um where you had um it was the phone call that your father um received oh, yeah. about you being kidnapped. I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I couldn't stop listening because I wanted to hear, you know, how the story unfolded.
0: Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. You know, it's so funny. Nobody watched that talk for five months and then it went viral this past week. It got a quarter million views out of nowhere. And it was such a lesson for me because the first Ted talk I gave five or six years ago was the first time I ever got on a stage before. And that one went viral, but I didn't feel expressed in it. I felt like, oh my God, I'm public speaking and I need to write something that feels good. Versus this past talk was, like, my best I could try to be. Like, I really practiced. I really thought about it. I really tuned into, like, my life and my career when I gave that talk. And I wrote that talk. And it was so interesting to see the feedback that nobody watched it for five months. Like, it was such a lesson for me of sometimes your best work doesn't get seen. And sometimes your mediocre work gets a lot of eyeballs. But, like, not to make your work mean it's good or bad when there's not eyeballs on it. And so, ironically... All of these, you know, views this past week has been really profound, and I would love your feedback for everybody listening because I know a lot of you guys on the podcast have watched my stuff, but what's your feedback on the talk where it could have been better or where it was strong, given that we did an opening about my dad and the fake kidnapping incident?
1: oh you you grabbed me all along um can, can I stop and ask you ask you a question yeah right? please you, you've you really um, triggered something for me yeah what 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 caused this to turn like what caused it to go viral I have no idea Do you
0: know? no idea. no idea literally no idea the day huh. before Thanksgiving it Got like a couple, like if it was so stagnant and then I got an inquiry about it and I was like, who's watching this thing? Like I wish people would watch it. it. I felt so I had no ego about the world watching it. I just felt so creatively expressed in it. I was like, I want the world to connect to this and feel that creative connection to people. And and I got this inquiry and I looked it up and it was like a few thousand views out of nowhere. And I was like, that's crazy. Nobody watched it for months and now it got a few thousand views. And then the next day it was like twice that amount. And the next day it was triple that amount. It was like crazy. So I have no explanation, no understanding of what happened.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: what really hit home for me and is really sticky. And so I watch you, you know, on your website and, you know, all the content that, that you share, where where your authority and your credibility comes from you know so you, you're talking you you talking about you being an, a negotiator mm. and um so you know that that piece really sticks for me and it makes um the entire presentation work
0: yeah oh wow thank you that's so helpful and um... and, and you
1: do it consistently you know across all platforms so yeah mm. you know it's very evident who you are and where you come from
0: Mm. And what do you think could have been even stronger? Because to me, I felt quite rehearsed in that talk. And anybody listening, it's the TED talk I did on how to figure out what you really want, because I'm sure some people might pause the episode to understand your feedback, you know, using this as a little Mm -hmm. guinea pig.
1: Mm-hmm. I would go back to you know what we've spoken about you you know said yourself about the amount of um, amount of um, investment and effort that you had in practicing mm-hmm. and I would encourage you um, the next time that you do a talk to take on what I said um, to you know pull away pull out the you know your key points and practice that way to see you know see how you feel you know if it's if those are comfortable shoes to wear and um, See if you can make it sound perhaps a little bit more um, conversational, a little bit more natural.
0: Yeah, definitely. I felt like I was going up there performing, you know, which is, and I went to a speaking workshop and I was like, wow, the best speakers are not just people with content or presence. They're people who know how to improv. And that was the (laughs) biggest shock for me. Like I had no idea that it was the best and the highest paid speakers, especially the biggest impact, arguably they're actors. Hmm. hmm, that's how I, I feel. A I come from a different perspective than that. Tell me, I would love I a do. different one because I don't want to feel like an actor. I'm not, I don't believe myself yeah, to be a good yeah. one. And yeah,
1: and you know, and I've um, alluded to this, you know, a few times on, on this call. And to me, the, the speakers that connect um, the best with their audience, that there is that real energy of engagement, it's be it's this ability to to be yourself, to be up there, to be confident and to be true to yourself. Whereas to me, when you're acting, um, that's that barrier, right? That's that little bit of performance and and people can feel it and an audience can feel it. Wow. So there's that, that real magic there, you know, to be, to being up there and to be able to deliver with confidence and ease. I actually, I have actors, you know, that come to me that have to deliver a presentation, you know, that it's, they're not, you know, it's not an acting um, gig, you know, that they've got going on and they have difficulty with that shift, right? To be um, themselves, just to be themselves on stage.
0: And I know it sounds so silly, you know, to ask how do you be yourself, but like, what are some thoughts you have for somebody who is struggling to be themselves on stage, you know?
1: (sighs) Yeah, and you know that's a that's that's a really big piece of the work that I do, and that's why a lot of clients um, are recommended or you know that come to me. So you know there's some anxiety you know around um, being up there and being yourself, and so you know I work them through a number of steps. Um, first of the first of all, you know it's around dialogue and discussion about stories that you're telling yourself that you know you aren't able to be up there and be your true self, and then the second piece is. Um, I, do, I work a lot of breath work, you know, with my clients so mm. that they can regulate their emotions. Yeah. And also I take them through a lot of visualization exercises mm. so that they are able to be up there and be comfortable as well.
0: And what, can you explain breath work? Cause I know one of my closest friends has a breath work platform, but not everybody knows breath work. Can you kind of give an idea of what that looks like or what it really is or what it does for anybody listening?
1: yeah and and this I found so interesting in all the research that i've done over the years and what it you know essentially what it is is the ability to be able to take a deep breath you know from a very you know low abdominal region. And it, I find it absolutely so fascinating. You know, i have clients, I often have clients, um, one-on-one clients, you know, come here to, to my office here in Vancouver and I'll ask them to take a deep breath. And I'll ask them first if they are able to take a deep breath and they'll say, yes, of course. And then I'll ask them to do it. And most people can't execute it. You know, it's from the upper chest mm-hmm. and, um, But when you are able to take, um, a breath from a really low, deep, deep place, what happens is, is that the brain cannot do two things at once. It can't be in fight and flight or in a relaxed state. And when you're taking these deep breaths, it causes you to be in a relaxed state.
0: Mm. So I have to admit, I don't think I, um, I don't think I can take a deep breath and it's, I've had different periods of my career that I have right now. I just have a lot of projects going on. So mm-hmm. what would you have to say to the me's of the world? Cause I think a lot of people right now, and, and I would like invite anybody who's listening now to try and take a deep breath from the bottom of your belly. Mm-hmm. And it usually will come from your chest. What are some ways to shift that? Mm-hmm. So
1: if you can, if you find that you cannot do it, that you, you know, observe that you are breathing from your upper chest, I would encourage you to lay down on the floor, lay down on the couch, um, lay down on a bed and put a very large book on your lower abdomen and see if you can make it rise and fall and practice, practice that, um, ensure, ensure that you can make it rise and fall. You will be able to with some practice and, um, But while you're doing that, really get attuned to what's being engaged in your lower abdomen for that to be able to happen. And then once you've got that down, again, stand up. And of course, you wouldn't be able to do it with the book anymore. Stand up and um, really get attuned to what was engaged. And then now try and execute that deep breath from that that lower place and... um, I find with some clients, some of them catch onto it quite quickly. Some, some it takes a while, you know, it takes a couple of three weeks of practice to be able to be able to um, breathe from that really deep um, place because
0: they've been breathing from upper chest, you know, for so long. And that's the default way of breathing. Mm-hmm. And isn't it, I don't know, I just can't help but listen to you and think it's kind of sad that we have to like practice breathing something that's so automatic <laughs> oh, yeah. in the human experience and not necessary for our survival. And, You know, I heard, I go to a meditation class um, almost every day because it's just a couple blocks from my place. And the woman the other day, she said, your quality of life is linked to your quality of breathing. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, yeah. And she said, your inner reality is reflecting your quality or your breathing reflects your inner reality, I guess. So I was like, wow, I can't. I can't breathe that well. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, gasping for air by any means, but when I hear in the class, it's always the worst when she's like, breathe in, deep breath, and everybody's, like, still breathing out where I, like, finished mine 10 minutes ago. You know, I'm like, ha, ah, <laughs> my little shallow breath. I
1: had no air. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and it kind of makes me sad. I'm like, why can't I get a big gulp of air? Like, what is going on with me? So I think a lot of people will relate to this, and I know for a lot it's anxiety. Um, for me, I, I think there's some stress on my shoulders. Which is not my usual flow. Usually, I'm a little more um, easy peasy. I just have a lot of deadlines right now with my book being due. Um, what what insight would you have for somebody who is making this shift and practicing? Is there a time frame you think where if they do it every day, they're going to learn to breathe from their belly? Is there an exercise you have for their mindset?
1: Not an exercise per se around mindset. What I what I ask my clients to do is put um an alarm on their phone, so a couple or three times a day, you know, that they check in. How am I breathing? Um, and if I'm not breathing from that deep place then there, you've got the, you've got the reminder to do, to do a couple of rounds that way. Um, You know, as I said, um, it, you know, it takes some practice. So it's, you know, the awareness piece, you know, that um, I'm not breathing in a way that is the most healthy for me. And um, so you've got awareness, but then, you know, with that awareness, you know, requires, you know, that practice. Um, Yeah. You know, that's what it looks like for me.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. And so kind of, going into the opener, like I want to give this, you know, leadership talk, for example, um, mm-hmm. what would you recommend? Cause I know some people aren't keynoting, they're doing presentations at work. Um, what are some different types of openers? I would love to know. Cause I know that there's warm openings, cold openings, dramatic opening, you know, how do you choose mm-hmm. how to open and what are some options on the menu here for everybody?
1: Uh, one of the ways that, you know, that, um, that I love seeing presentations start. Well, there's a couple of ways. The first that's coming to mind right now, it's uh, it's that startling, startling statistic, right? Something that someone um, doesn't know, hasn't heard before. So again, we'll hook them right in to listen. Um, um, the other one that I absolutely love is, which, which is what you did, what you demonstrated, was this, a, a story piece, right? So, you know, you're beginning with a story and you're, you know, reeling your audience in through a story. So it could be a story or it could be an, an analogy. And the wonderful thing about that, using the story, is you can then thread it, you know, throughout your whole presentation and then use it at the end, you know, mm-hmm. to
0: finish your presentation off. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so kind of circling back and buttoning up the, like looping back to what Mm -hmm. you started with. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, Tying
1: it all up in a lovely bow.
0: Uh-huh. And when we think about storytelling, I know a lot of people, it's like such a buzz term lately. I've been seeing more storytelling Mm -hmm. workshops and stuff like that. And I know it's a really powerful marketing tool and also just a powerful tool in general to connect with people, connection tool. What are some pieces of storytelling that you maybe want to offer people to consider as they're working on their opener if they want to do a story
1: Hmm. well you know what i will say and you know and you're leading into this and of course you know it is really the buzz you know that's going around right now however what i what i do know it's it's the most effective way to be able to um to influence and persuade others, and to be able to elicit emotion, and you know that's the way that um, that we able are able to get buy-in. You know, is through that through that emotion piece. Um, stories are sticky, and you know, oftentimes. You'll walk away from a presentation. You know, it, it might be a week later. It might be, you know, two months later, and that story, you know, that Ashley told, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 you know, it comes, it comes into our mind, right? And you know, we start thinking through the story and then you know it's at that point that we're able to con- connect back to the data you know mm-hmm. that was wanting to be conveyed to be communicated yeah so you know stories are just there's they're super sticky and you know super effective the way that you would deliver it in a presentation often is you know that you'll make a statement and then you will deliver um, an, an analogy or you know a story that's connected to you know the the data or the stats
0: yeah. It's, it's interesting because, and when you say sticky, you mean it sticks with them, not like it's challenging. No, no, not challenging okay. at all. Sticks Got it. with it. Sticks yeah. with them. Okay. Yeah. And what are, yeah. what would you say are, you know, I'm thinking about, so anybody who's taking notes, cause I know plenty of you do here on the podcast, um, your intention, your key message, your three supporting arguments and your opener, which we're talking about data and storytelling is two great angles. Is there any other angle that you're thinking about Janice that is like, Oh, this is an, also a cool approach to opening.
1: Hmm. Um nothing's coming to mind right now.
0: Okay. No, nope, You've got me stumped. Yeah, yeah, well, I've seen people open with a question, which sometimes if they haven't built yeah. rapport with the audience, sometimes will feel a bit like out of nowhere, but also really great, depending on the energy of the person. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I I can't help but ask you about the best speakers you think on the circuit. Because and, and people who are listening right now, um, you know, I get that there's speaking for as an entrepreneur, speaking as a corporate professional, it's really the same thing. It's just different eyeballs. And uh, I can't help but ask you what you think the best speakers have going for themselves. Because those of you listening, I'm sure you haven't heard about what speakers make for a living. Um, It is a highly lucrative job when you are a top speaker. Um, I was just at a workshop and the girl sitting next to me bills out, I think it was 32,000 per talk and she does a hundred talks a year. So, you know, I'm not at that rate you know, right now as a speaker, and I, I really just am continuing to work on the craft, and I really respect it as a creative trait, and I would love to understand from you, for everybody listening, no matter how they're using these tools for speaking in this template you're providing, what do you see in the best speakers that might be beyond the template? Like, what are some of the traits or things you've noticed about the best of the best?
1: Consistency. That they are out there taking as many taking on as many speaking opportunities as they can, and from each each um, time that they're on stage, they are taking away um, learnings. You know how they can improve for the next time. But it really is this consistency piece, and you will notice that the best speakers um, that they are out and about. Um, you know, cons- consistently, you'll see them on, you know, every platform. Um, if they're visiting your city, they are visiting your city and then they're out to the suburbs and, you know, and then, a, you know, a, a town or city not very far away. And it is absolutely this consistency piece. And that's how speakers can improve. Okay. How much, how, much, how often do
0: you speak? Um, I Well, so that was an interesting answer for you to give me because I, um, I try not to do it unless I'm compensated and it's the right Timing, Like um, I <laughs> spoke for free for probably three, four years before I started getting paid for it. And now I have a huge sensitivity to it because it's a huge energy use and I love using it, yep. but I don't like giving that, um, from like my heart, if it's not being honored, especially as a career coach, I feel totally out of integrity being the free career coach, teaching people how to rise up in their mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done way less, but a lot more high impact. So I'm, MC, and I've done a lot of MCing. So I have an MC and I probably do like 10 paid talks a year, I would say. Mm-hmm.
1: And emceeing is actually much more difficult than delivering a presentation.
0: I find it easier in the sense where um, I don't have a script. I don't have bullets. Like I'm just in my being, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that isn't for everybody. I think a lot of speakers um, are, you know, good at the delivery. Whereas for me, I just kind of ham it up on stage and I'm like, hello, you know, Having a good <laughs> time. Um, okay, so kind of getting into the conclusion, what would you say is a good consideration for somebody to write a good conclusion?
1: Mm. So you know, especially you know, you're you're talking from you know professional organizational perspective. It's it's usually a call to action. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know what it is that what is it that you want your audience to to know, think, or do? So that needed to be established in the front end. But firmly communicated in in the back end you know in the in the finishing piece of the presentation
0: mm, that's great okay and um just as we're kind of closing out like any like last piece of advice for anybody who really wants to up their game mm. uh,
1: and so now you know i think a lot of people will probably have a different perspective, you know, on both what you and I have input into this conversation here to pull up um, YouTube videos of people giving presentations, watch TED Talks, and now watch watch them with a much more critical eye, and there's great learnings to be had um, there.
0: Mm, okay and anybody who does that I will be forever grateful if you DM me on Instagram and let me know where I can improve (laughs) shameless plug help the sister out Um, Janice this has been so awesome where can everybody find you and continue learning from you
1: so you can find me on my website and it's just it's simply my name it's Janice and I'm an I C E Janice Tomich T O M I C H Dot com. Awesome.
0: That's where you can find me. Woohoo! Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. Oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you. Hey there, it's Ash, and I am just reflecting on Janice Tomich, and I just thought her conversation about how to outline and create a great talk or presentation, whether you've got a large audience, whether you're at work and you've just got a couple of people was really, really helpful. And what I left our conversation thinking about was the difference between sharing from the mind versus sharing from the heart. And there are so many times where I understand something in my head, but I don't really understand it in my being. And it's in that moment that in those moments that I I realize I need to put a ladder from my head into my heart. And when I really tune into something, it's so much easier to really feel it versus when I'm just speaking from this intellectual knowing. Um, You know, it's kind of like traveling. If you look at a textbook and see a picture of Paris, you know it on a mental level, but you don't know it until you're standing in it experientially and speaking from that level of understanding. And it kind of reminds me of my own speaking career and how I've been building it and The strategies that I've been investing in for me as a business to put my message out there, whatever it may be, whatever I have to say. And what I've learned across the board is if you want to get people to listen to you, then you need to say something that wakes them up and interrupts their thought flow. And where that comes from is often authenticity, emotion, life experience, and human connection, So when I think about how I want to start a TED Talk or a client presentation, if I was in the workforce, I would think about something emotional that everybody can relate to that I've been through without being so vulnerable that I'm kind of walking that line of being too private. There's a line between what's personal and what's private. And I think good speakers are able to tune into something on that line and open up a talk or a presentation where they can share some sort of story that relates to the subject matter at hand that they're about to get into on that line between personal and private and human understanding. And so my recommendation, my recommendation to you is you're doing more speaking or if you want to win a client over or you have a conference call and there's a bunch of people on there and you you really want them to give you their presence is before you get down to business think about something in your life that is deeply moving or deeply relevant or shows your humanity or reminds other people of their humanity and start your conversation your presentation your keynote whatever you're doing off on that topic And if you have an hour to talk, it doesn't matter if you just give two minutes to some sort of story that's relevant and make that tie and why it's relevant and what it has to do with what you want to talk about today as you start to outline what you're going to get into. So in my case, when I think about my life and what I think about what really moves me, what has changed me, I think about my sister having passed away. Like, I know a lot of people can relate to death and loss and grief. I think about getting my heart broken um, having a high school sweetheart and and breaking up with him. I think about, you know, when I broke up with him, he passed out in the middle of the high school quad. Um, I think about, oh my gosh, being in a toxic relationship, not having a sense of self-worth. I think about losing $5 million, you know, like losing all my money. I think about having $5 million, having experienced wealth, all of these odd experiences that have given me insight into the human experience because you can look at an experience you've had and think, well, other people can't relate to it. Like maybe some of you can't relate to making $5 million in two months. But what you can relate to is wondering like I did what it would be like to actually have ease with money, an experience that I got to have and speak from. So what I would recommend is when you look at your life experiences on that line between personal and private as they relate to something you wanna talk about to an audience or to a small group, Think about what, how can I zoom out of this experience? Like my sister dying, maybe people didn't have a sister that died, but they have experienced grief and loss. And that is a touch point where we can meet on. So my recommendation to you today is when you're talking about yourself in your elevator pitch, that's something I talk about a lot in my job offer academy course. Or while you're talking about yourself, you know, in your meetings and you've got the floor for a half hour, how can you touch in to everybody's inner human? And how can you speak from the heart and less from the mind just at the beginning of your talk so that as people start to tune into you, you interrupt their pattern of tuning out and you get them to click in and have an experience with you as a speaker. All right, I hope this was helpful. I know it's all over the place. Hope you're having a beautiful day. Sending you guys light. Take care.